Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Empire. Call the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question. Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have with us once again, Adam Parkamento. I can never do your name right. That's okay. Parkamento. <laughs> Parkamento. I always, stu- I always stutter on the last one, and I know I'm going to feel bad when I do it. But <laughs> <laughs> Democratic strategist and uh, currently fighting against Devin Nunes and former DNC field director. So when we get back, we'll have Adam and we'll just ask the question. Hi, and we're back. And Adam, I guess I'll start out just asking the question, as you are a Democratic strategist, is Bernie going to get the nomination? And is everybody free? Why is everyone freaking out over Bernie? I have no idea who's going to get the nomination. It is kind of early, isn't it? Yeah, it's early. I think that I think Super Tuesday will be telling. Um, I have said for almost two years that I think that uh, there's a good chance that whatever happens, there'll be a floor fight. And I think that when Tom Perez took over as DNC chair and pushed through some of the Unity Commission recommendations that, uh, you know, one of the big pieces that changed was that superdelegates would vote on second ballot. And the rules are a little um, kind of all over the place. It leaves some room for a, uh, a candidate because only a candidate can do this for president to challenge those rules that changed on the floor. I don't know that that will happen. Um, It's most likely that superdelegates will continue to vote on second ballot. But with that said, there's about 500 of them. And that's a a huge chunk. And so this thing does go to second ballot at the convention. I think that's where a lot of the action is going to be at. And for the political neophyte, let's explain what superdelegates are. Sure. So um, in the party, you have a number of uh, uh, people, uh, specifically um, uh, members of Congress make up a a huge chunk of them on the Democratic side, Democratic senators, um, and it gives them a vote at the convention for who other presidential nominee is. Um, These are people who are not DNC members um, year round, but they get a vote um, as a superdelegate at the convention because of their standing in the party. A few of them are former presidents, so you'd have uh, President Obama, President Clinton, um, you know, and a handful of others. But for the most part, the, the members of Congress make up um, the large group of those. And if you look back at 2016, um, Senator Sanders didn't get many of those. However, um, the makeup of uh, the Congress has changed. Dems have um, got a bunch of new seats, and there's a handful of progressive members that are actively supporting him publicly now. 
And the whole purpose behind a superdelegate is so the party can retain some control over who their nominee is. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an, it's an insurance policy. Um, you know, you'd like to see the the, the delegates and the super dele- the the pledge delegates, uh, which are the delegates that they're picking up um, through these uh, through the nominating process, as well as the super delegates, go with um, whomever won the popular vote throughout the primary. Um, however, um, it's a system that would make sure that we don't have a Donald Trump as our nominee. Right, and uh, the problem or the accusation last time from some of those in Bernie Sanders' camp, uh, you know, affectionately called Bernie Bros, uh, <laughs> but that it was rigging the system and rigging an election. And I always try to explain to him, look, the selection of of the candidate is not an elective process. Right. I mean, the the party could stick their thumb in their took us as and pull it out and go, hey, here's our, our candidate. And it used to be decided in, you know, the smoky back rooms. Right. We give the people a say now and, hey, who do you want? Democrats, who do you want? But the party still wants to maintain some control, as you said, so you don't end up with a Donald Trump. Right. And the party effectively is pretty weak in the sense that we don't have a, uh, a Democrat who's president. Um, who's overseeing the DNC. And so, you know, there, when you kind of think to the leadership of the Democratic Party, if you wound up in a scenario where there might be somebody that they're, they're pointing at as a, a potential nominee who didn't run, um, you don't really have the folks that um, are in the White House and other places that would normally be part of that process. So this yeah, really... right now it's Tom Perez. Right. And, um, and he's gotten a lot of heat. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've been a huge... Um, I've I've taken uh, had a number of issues with things that Tom Perez has done throughout this, and you know last last such as well, I think that he um, doesn't truly understand the job of the DNC. I think that you know how you, so you know it's Howard Dean understood that we needed to build strong state parties, and we couldn't take for granted a state like Maryland, which you know, um, by all accounts is a blue state and you wind up with a Republican governor. Um, Ohio, where, you know, folks give up and walk away. I think it was just today, you know, three years we've had Tom Perez and just today they said that they're putting uh, Ohio on a list of states that they're going to give more resources to. Um, And the other thing is, is the relative silence um, for the first three years of the Trump presidency where you know, if you don't have a White House briefing taking place, and I was Tom Perez, I'd be out there speaking to the press every single day outside the White House fence. Right. And trying to own that vacuum. He runs away like, from us. Yeah. I, I mean, I've run into him at the uh, at the uh, debates and actually getting him to stop and stand still and take a question. Uh, it's, it's almost like questioning Trump. I mean, if I got a 10-word question, he might catch it, and then he's gone. Yeah. I think ultimately he didn't want the job. You know, uh, I think ultimately you shouldn't have the job, right. but that's just me. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think you ought to be fired. I think he's a detriment to the Democrats. I, I, uh, I came down in 2016 and ran Maryland for Hillary and got to know a lot of people in Montgomery County who loved Tom Perez. You know, he used to be on the city council out there, and they he remember count, him going He was a county councilman, and I thought of him as a rather ineffective county councilman when he was here, and yeah. he's a rather ineffective head of the yeah. DNC. Well, if you think of— uh, He was well-liked. Right. I'm I'm referring more to the kind of the campaign he ran. People knew that he was sort of a grassroots person. Ultimately, we wound up with a um, a DNC race for chair, where I think that Tom was really asked <clears throat> to be to to run and be part of it to stop Keith Ellison, and and oddly we ended up having uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg 
in, in that race <laughs> who ran. And, and I don't even think he actually ever asked for a single vote of a DNC member. I think he ran to start to build a relationship with those DNC, DNC members, members. <laughs> um, which in hindsight was, was smart on his part. He hosted a lot of parties and met a lot of people and traveled to a lot of states. But, um, you know, we four years ago, we ended up having a convention where uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was pushed out the day before the convention yep, started. I remember that. And, and depending on where this all goes... <clears throat> You know, the buck does stop with Tom Perez, and I think that there's a, you know, there there has been a lot of uh, uh, folks within the party um, who have a say in who the chair is who are not happy with uh, the James Carville has come out and said, hey, get rid of him. Yeah. And you're not fond of him, and I, I'm not fond of him. I have no say in the Democratic yeah. Party, but I think he's part of the problem the Democrats have. And I know that when they uh, spoke about Iowa, they're saying, well, that was a state guy and he quit. But... I beg to differ that if you're the head of the DNC right. and this is your first, you know, test out of the gate and it fails that miserably, you are responsible right. for that. I'm sorry. All, yeah, totally. Own it. And the other thing is, that, you know, when, when this conversation comes up, a lot of people say who would be a good replacement. And I think one of the the natural folks who many within the party and outside from a gra- gra- grassroots standpoint that, you know, really wanted her to run and do it was Jennifer Granholm. And, you know, Jennifer Granholm um, is no longer governor. She's in California. She's she's making money and, and doing things privately. Um, but she was someone who was expected to potentially be in a cabinet if Hillary had won in 2016. And when that didn't happen, a lot of folks had hoped that she would do it and didn't. Um, but, you know, there's a number of good people that could step up and and do it and that, that get it. There's also people who folks don't know, like Ken Martin, who's the head of the uh, Minnesota uh, DFL, who's a party chair. He's also the head of all the state party chairs, and he really understands the ins and outs. And him him and Tom have uh, publicly gone on it for the last couple of years. Before, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, so let's pull back a second and take a look at um, what the Democrats are doing now. Um, there are people that are actually, you know, pulling their hair out that, that, uh, <laughs> that Bernie is the, you know, the early leader in the race. But I I always say it's, you know, like you said, Super Tuesday. I mean, Clinton didn't emerge until after Super Tuesday. Uh, Obama was not, you know, on anybody's radar. That, to me, it's almost like the Democrats are in panic mode early. Yeah, I think it, it is. It is. There's a debate, I think, that goes sort of two tracks. One, a lot of folks are trying to figure out, has have politics just changed altogether? Because you have a quote-unquote former Democrat who's now the Republican nominee for president, and yeah. you have someone who typically says they're not a Democrat who is considered the front runner for the Democratic nomination. And um, I think, you know... Personality cults have yeah, replaced parties. Is that what you're saying? The two-party system, I think, is uh, being tested more than ever right now. So uh, is the press, brother. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> the press, the, the two-party system, and, and the country as a whole. I mean, all of this is sort of an experiment. But the Democratic Party is the oldest party in this country's history. And, you know, it's always chaos like this. And I think at the end of the day, when you, when you compare the two, um, you know, I've always said I'm not supporting anybody. I'm not supporting a couple people. Um, You're supporting the party. Yeah, I'll support the party and I'll support whoever the nominee is. And um, I think, you know, who there's a very good chance that we'll wind up with a nominee who um, who could win and won't be the nominee four years from now. Right. And I, I but I go back to it is to Bernie in 2016. And after he lost the nomination and 
I remember some of his supporters saying, you can't have Hillary. You have to have somebody that can beat Trump. And I said, well, hell, he couldn't even beat Hillary. So how's he going to beat Trump? There were a solid block of those supporters who, A, either didn't turn up to vote, voted for Jill Stein, mm-hmm. or voted for, for Donald Trump. Right. And it was that lack of cohesion coming out of uh, Philadelphia that I think ultimately sunk the Democratic Party. I mean, you had Hillary Clinton and uh, up on stage saying, hey, and, and, all, and Tim Kaine and others going, look, uh, if you're the party of Lincoln, you're with us. I mean, I remember them saying that from the podium. I'm going, well, that means you're the Republican Party. Right. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, they didn't buy it, and, and they lost to Donald Trump. And I, I wonder, do the Democrats understand why Trump won in 2016? And looking at the debates, do they understand today what they need to do to beat him in 2020? I don't think anyone has the perfect answer. I actually think that there's a lot of people within the party, both on the kind of the consultant side and on the presidential campaign side, who don't understand the real possibility, at least don't don't take serious the possibility that there's a very good chance that Trump could be reelected. Um, Which was, they did that in 2016. Right. And, uh, and, and you know, structure-wise, not a lot of things have changed since 2016. I mean, the Democratic Party... Um, you know, for for all of the incredible things that President Obama did, one of the big weaknesses was the DNC. You I had, don't think he built his bench strength worth a crap. Yeah, the, and the DNC didn't have much of anything there. It had OFA competing with it in a parallel, and you know, the I think a lot of time has been lost since since we lost in 2016 to today in terms of the different pieces that go into changing all that. And, and again, it's a small preview into things that happen internally and then blow up externally. But th- this app in Iowa uh, is a great example of, you know, just one contest we couldn't even get right out the gates. <laughs> right. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about going forward. What do you see is a path to victory for uh, the Democratic Party? And talk a little bit about uh, what happened to the Democrats post-impeachment. Sure. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. And Adam, I'm going to just uh, again just ask the question: What's the path forward for victory for the Democrats? Because I got to tell you, looking at the debates, and I've been to all of them, I don't think they, I don't think any of the candidates are attacking Trump. They're 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 eating each other. It's yeah. like watching a cannibal fest. Yeah, I mean the the last debate was super interesting, and uh, by the time this is on, though, we'll have another debate. Yep. Um, I think Democrats just need to get behind who whoever the Democratic nominee is. And, you know, should that be Bernie Sanders, I think that um, people will get behind him. I think the biggest hurdle that he's got is really um, a lot of the folks around him that he elevates who sort of pretend, you know, there isn't this kind of Bernie bro movement going on. Well, and I find them as as annoying as Trumpers sometimes. I mean, the Trump people will tell you, if you're not with us, then you're our enemy, which is kind of fascism to me. But I hear that from some of Bernie's supporters, too. Yeah, I mean, you know. And he's not real friendly with the press either. <laughs> and I'm sure there's Bernie supporters that uh, listen to this podcast. So, you know, for the record, I've I've, um, I've hit him super hard online. 
But the one thing I haven't done is I, I, I haven't attacked him this year. Um, January 1st on, I sort of made a decision that I was going to try to lift up whoever uh, was running for president when they did something that I liked. And, you know, if they said Does something. Does that include Trump? No. <laughs> um, Has he done anything you like? <laughs> I don't think so. Um I'd have to think on that, but I, I think it just, it, it's, a it, look, Bernie has some really good people that, that work with him, you know, uh, his goes camp- without saying, yeah, yeah, you know, his campaign manager is a great guy. And, um, I, but you know, that's just what it comes down to is everybody's got to get behind whoever the nominee is. And then, um, I, you know, the, I think the words that Michelle Obama used a couple of years ago have always stuck with me, which is, you know, if we can find a couple more votes per precinct and if we can focus some of these resources on down ballot elections, if you're coming out to vote for a state Senate seat or, you know, a mayoral race, you're naturally going to vote at the top of the ticket. And, right. and so, you know, I think it's key in a lot of these states to lift up these campaigns and get out those extra votes that are going to help carry the top of the ticket. Well, there are more registered Democrats than there are registered Republicans. Right. So it would seem likely that if the Democrats voted in Moss, that they might have a shot at, at yeah. uh, defeating the Republicans. But that's not the case. And I mean, gerrymandering aside, which is another issue, um, getting people to turn out to vote is a problem. Right. How do you? Well, I think one of the, the <clears throat> parallels that Democrats need to do in addition to this presidential is focus on the United States Senate. I think that taking back the Senate is. Can they do it? You, you know, it's a good question. And, you know, whoever the nominee is, look at your your home state home commonwealth of kentucky you know oh, just the last couple of days <laughs> you know the, the they're already trying to do everything they can to stop folks from voting this november after yeah. after bevan was like uh, was was thrown out of office so um it, it's like that and he pulled it didn't he pull a, a a nice little one i'm not leaving yeah it's almost makes you wonder what trump will do if he loses right and, and my favorite was um i think the week leading up to the kentucky gubernatorial election and the day of uh, to kind of segue into your other topic was uh, impeachment. I mean, he was saying that it was a referendum on impeachment, and he lost. <laughs> well, <clears throat> Kentucky is an interesting place in so much as that uh, the the senior senator, Mitch McConnell, is not well-loved. Right. <clears throat> but he always seems to win. Right. Is voter suppression a problem there, or do people not turn out to vote? I think it's a bit of both. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is the— one of the reasons I thought the the Bevin results were so interesting was because Kentucky was the highest Trump approval rating in the country. You know, and Bevin was basically mini Trump. Oh, he, yeah, he was a mini me. That's and for and damn Trump, sure. Trump went in there, loved him just before the end. Yeah, and didn't didn't pull it out for him. No. Um, and but well, the problem is is if if Jefferson County, which is Louisville, Lexington, Fayette County. Owensboro, if the three or four legitimate, you know, uh, <laughs> urban areas right. vote and where the cities are, and there's a lot more voters there, then the chances of McConnell uh, winning are not that great. But he still pulls a lot of water out of Covington and uh, across the state from people who um, think he's really there to help them. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't understand that, if you read the news, how he's there to help anybody but himself. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if, if uh, you know, there's some split ticket votes going on there and, you know, folks vote one way in the presidential and another way in the Senate. That would – I would suspect – well, <clears throat> and let's be honest. Mitch McConnell, if you look at it, is Ronald Reagan's legacy to the United States. Mm. He was the only pickup in 84 that the GOP had in the Senate. 
All true. the rest of them that were up for, were were GOP were, were there to be reelected. He was the only pickup, the only seat they picked up, and he did it with a monumental schmear campaign right. brought to us by Roger Ailes. Yep. And that was, uh, and we've been stuck with him ever since. Yep. So that was. Uh, <laughs> That will be interesting to see. Yeah. But moving on uh, past that, when we're talking about down uh, ballot races, is is the Democratic Party afraid of losing the House? I think that Democrats, it depends who you ask, I suppose, but I think Democrats have a huge chance not, not just to uh, take back the House, but also uh, to pick up a number of seats that were either close last cycle or we have uh, credible um, and real candidates running the cycle. So, you know, um, uh, Will Hurd, um, you know, that was a seat where, where Beto didn't um, campaign for the Democrat and almost sort of just endorsed the Republican that was running Will Hurd. And he's retiring. You've got Gina Ortiz-Jones running. Um, there's seats like that. You know, I think that some of the upstate New York seats, um, there's some interesting ones that we could potentially pick up. You know, I think that... Uh, what about Nunes? You going to get rid of him? I have no and idea. His cows. Yeah, the the primary. So the top two, it'll be Nunez and probably Phil Arbio, uh, March third. And uh, you know, uh, in the actual case filed against the cow and the mom, <clears throat> uh, Nunez opens. I just, I just you can't it's, get past it's, that. It's classic. <laughs> well, also, re- you want to refresh everybody's opinion, uh, yeah, memory about that. So Devin Nunez is currently suing um, two Twitter handles called uh, Devin's Mom and uh, Devin's Cow. Yeah, and he was on Fox the other day uh, and doing another interview, and they actually were talking about Devin's Cow and Devin's Mom. But they were just saying it just like that, you know, and he had this kind of look like, you know, where's the context of what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. It's been like the biggest um, cell phone, but he's he's suing um, those two accounts. He's suing McClatchy, which just filed for bankruptcy. So that's automatically on hold and, and would have to be dealt with in bankruptcy court. And he's suing um, Twitter and uh, GOP operative Liz Mayer. He subpoenaed me um, because he believes that I am the cow or the mom or both. Um, Are you the cow or the mom or both? I have no idea, but we we. <laughs> you, you have no idea if you're the cow or the mom. Uh, I um, it's not something he'll find out anytime soon. But we uh, we did move to squash the uh, subpoena, and uh, he believes I think that um, uh, you know. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like you are the cow or the mom. He believes that I would just flip on the mom or the cow, which didn't happen. And uh, I feel left out. Nobody, you know, he hasn't subpoenaed me. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's. It, um, it's been interesting. I, I, I tweeted recently, is, is, uh, is back, back pain and headaches a sign of uh, uh, stress from subpoenas? Um, <laughs> and tagged my attorney. So You're very active on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? I, I like that I've been on and had enough fun to where I can step back and put it away now for hours at a time and... Um, not think as much about it as I used to. I think that it really drives the conversation of the day. Um, you know, campaigns, even though you can't do political ads this cycle on Twitter and campaigns are spending their money on Facebook and Google and other places, the narrative is constantly being driven on Twitter. The breaking news is being driven on Twitter. Folks may see more of their news from other vehicles such as Facebook, um, but you can have a huge impact Um on, on Twitter in real time, and um, you can make or break campaigns. I mean, you know, uh, there was a moment when Elise Stefanik during impeachment was doing that back and forth with Devin Nunes where she was pretending she couldn't talk, and I tweeted out about her opponent, Tedra Cobb, 
And um, that tweet, which turned into a couple other tweets, raised Tedra Cobb a million dollars that weekend and wow. um, got her 250,000 new followers. And she outraised Elise Stefanik that quarter. Does But the question is, do these people vote? You know, I think um, anyone that has sort of like a preconceived notion that um, Twitter is is translating into votes is probably sort of like in the wrong business. But, um, you know, you've, you've seen a couple of polls in these first contests where like it's like 10 or 18 percent say they get their news from Twitter. So you see, you know, there are a handful of people who are getting news from Twitter and doing things. But I think really it has um, an impact on the campaign itself. And a lot of campaigns, especially in this environment where so many people are running, um, are looking for a moment. And while you may not have one of those bad actors like Devin Nunes or Jim Jordan to run against, um, you know, if you're in a position to uh, increase the majority or take back a, a state legislative body or um, help take back the Senate, Twitter is a great vehicle um, and pumps a lot of money into these campaigns. Uh, to those who say it's caustic, what do you what do you tell them? You know, I when I first got on Twitter, I couldn't really figure out how to use it in 2008. And a yeah, couple I got of years on in 2009. I yeah. same way. A couple of years went by. Um, I think it's just sort of everyone likes to do different things. I've never been able to translate anything I do into Instagram or Facebook. You know, I don't I don't really spend much time trying, but I, it either works or doesn't for people, I think. And so <clears throat> going forward, we had promised we were going to talk a little bit about the Demo- what do you think happens no matter what the candidate who the candidate is what do the democrats have to do to beat donald trump in 2020 well i've always said that if you're if you're the democratic party you're running against you know donald trump and fox news and saudi arabia and russia some days the new york times um some days the washington post yeah some <laughs> days um although i think they've done a you know much better job i you know, it's a tough one. I think that I think that they need to understand the power of social media. I think Donald Trump did that early on and did it well in 2015. And his campaign was spending a lot of money on places like Twitter, which you can't advertise on now. Um, and you, you know, you need to focus on. Um, I think that you know, you need to fight back too. A lot of people don't believe you should sort of fight fire with fire. You know, I've always said we, <laughs> Michael Bloomberg doesn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. I've always said that. You know, we <laughs> he called. What did he call Trump on uh, Twitter? A clown? Some kind of. <laughs> a friend of mine texted me that night and said uh, during the debate uh, when they were watching Elizabeth Warren that they thought she should be wearing plastic and listening to or playing Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> so you know. Um, look, I think Warren. Uh, you know, Warren uh, came out the gate and. People want to see that, you know, whether she's the nominee or not. I think that Trumpism is here to stay. Our politics are different, and you need to be able More to— More crass. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that— And I think the term fake media is here to stay, or fake news. Yeah, right? and, the, and the, you know, deep state. I, I think that— And um, deep state, which is a crock, but— Right. Um, I think the—you the, know, one of the things here is people want somebody who can beat Donald Trump. And so— you know, when when Bernie and Warren are out there saying billionaire this, billionaire that, you know, M- Michael Bloomberg is spending money on negative ads against himself right now to to see how these um, hits are working or not working. And he doesn't he doesn't mind these attacks because it's a different year than it normally is. And it may be like this for a long time. But the fact is, 
people are okay that somebody's willing to spend tons of money to defeat Donald Trump. Right. And, and you know, that's going to— Millions of yeah. people are, are happy for that. And, and so I just think that, like, the, the policy piece is critical, but, you know, when you go into a debate and you hear almost nothing about Donald Trump, you've got to find the balance. Right. Do you think, coming out of the, uh, the impeachment and the acquittal, that that impeachment helped Donald Trump? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know that it like polls show that he's more popular than he's ever been. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I don't know. I, I think the impeachment. They love him in India. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. the uh, you know impeachment was the right way to go. I was a very critical of Nancy Pelosi throughout most of last year. It was later than I wanted to. Ultimately, I think she did the right thing. I think that Adam Schiff and the the, the team that presented was incredible. I think we now know that, you know, Val Demings is going to make a great nominee for United States Senate in Florida at some point. Um, but I, I, I think that it was the right thing, even if it did help him. I'm not sure that it, that's what helped him. You know, I think a lot of this keeps coming back to, you know, certain pieces of the economy, even if um, people aren't uh, seeing a change in their book. And, you know, hopefully when people file taxes again this year, um, They'll, They'll see just how much it's hurting. Yeah, how much. They, uh, last question before we go to the break. Um, the coronavirus. And we've seen the um, drop in the uh, stock market, 2,000 points in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy is the touchstone to Donald Trump's popularity. Right. When he comes out and says, hey, we've got this under control, we're doing great, do you believe him? Um, I think it was uh, Kudlow, Kudlow who said today that they've got it airtight, and I said something like, you know, I'm finally scared. Now I'm scared. Um, no, I, I, I don't believe them at all. I think that um, it, it's been complete malpractice the way that they've handled it to date. And I think that, you know, the sort Why? of— Because it just seems like a joke to them. Even when they went to Congress, you know— Weeks and weeks after to request the additional funding. I mean, this was something that was being discussed in January. It's almost March. Well, here's my question. I'm just going to be blunt. I'm sitting in the East Room watching the president's celebration after acquittal. And I look at the people in the room. There's I see one who believes in contrails. There's one who doesn't believe in global uh, warming. Here's one that doesn't like education. There's one one with a mask. Yeah, there's there's one with QAnon who believes in QAnon. There's oh there's someone over there who actually questioned one time whether or not man landed on the moon. Mm. I'm looking at all these people who don't believe in science now telling me they got a handle on something that you need some smart people for. And I know that there have been people that have left the CDC because of this president. So I'm concerned for our health basically on that level. And I don't see anyone addressing that. Will the Democrats address that? I hope so. Um, <laughs> I, I ran for vice chair of the DNC in 2017 and uh, was not elected. There were uh, three seats, nine candidates. I came in fourth. So I, I tried <laughs> well, to be part it. of that process. You know, um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, one, one of the only things that makes me feel better about a lot of these things is that there are still people in government um, that care and that are doing the right things. But you've got Rush Limbaugh out there today saying that this is just the common cold and this is all about you know destroying donald trump and you know statements like that should be criminal yeah i and it yeah well not only should it be criminal but that guy shouldn't have gotten the medal of honor yeah that's that's a different story so we're going to take a short break and we'll come back with some final thoughts 
Hi, and we're back. And Adam, I guess the uh, one of the last questions I want to ask you is where we started. Do the Democrats win in 2020? Is Donald Trump going to be reelected? What, what's your gut tell you? Um, I have no idea. Well, that, I, I, hell, that's that's deep. <laughs> I uh, I hope not. Um, uh, you know, I I think it's interesting because you know my son's ten years old, and while he was sort of tuned into 2016 primarily because um, I was working for Hillary Clinton, he's he's brought it up more than I bring it up now. And I think that you know there's folks on all different levels that are uh, taking an interest into this election. We've heard for years and years and years that every election it feels like the last two decades has been, this is the most critical election of our lifetime. I think 2016 was, uh, especially when you look at the Supreme Court and uh, what's happening to this country. But if there's one that's more critical, it would be this one. And, um, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, and I I wonder if they'll get the vote out, if there will be voter suppression. You know, it's not... It's not what the Republicans say. It's you know, it's not voter fraud. It's voter suppression. Yeah, and it's elderly. We'll get the vote out. There'll yeah. be a bunch of people that get out to vote that learn they apparently can't vote. Yeah, that's the and and at the end of the day, do the Democrats and the and the way they're acting in the uh, debates right now, where they're eating each other. I mean, it's like a big you know standing in a circle and. It's almost like going on a, a hunt with, uh, you know, a former member of the Republican administration who famously shot someone in the face. Wonder who that was. But uh, it's it's almost like that. They're almost like, sh- you know, shooting each other in the foot. Can they survive it? And will they defeat? Will they understand why Trump won? And will they be able to 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 beat him in twenty twenty? I hope so. I, and I, I think that there's been a number of folks who have run who have tapped into all sorts of new energy and voters. I was in. All right, but but be honest. I mean, but the key is using those folks, right? Like, yeah. Look at Andrew Yang. You know, I mean, he may be on um, CNN now, but like, what's the party's plan to use Andrew Yang um, and you know keep that network active and give him a role within the party? And he, well, I, I've always said that when I looked at the <clears throat> when I started out with the ten or so people on stage, it looked like I was looking at a great future cabinet debating each yeah. other, but I didn't see a president there. Yeah. But I also am concerned because I hear the Democrats in their debates talking about reparations and uh, going after guns and uh, talking about um, and and I'm just going to be blunt because this is a fact because I, I have a a, a, a um, some in laws who are farmers and they're poor yeah. but they're white and what they hear is a Democrat saying poor black people but they don't make any mention of poor white people, which is what Trump does, which plays into that racism. And so is do any of the Democrats understand how to get the Trump voters or the swing voters? Well, I've always said this goes back to to party building, and it may sound a little weird, but it, it, it goes it, – I'm not going to go into Arkansas and say, hey, this is what we should do. What we need is a strong party in Arkansas that understands that not only is – And that takes us back to Tom Perez. Yeah. And that not only you know is is one state different than another state, but all these different corners of a state are different than other corners of the state. And so, what we really need to do is elevate people who um, can help get out the vote, but also talk to voters that are their neighbors and their friends and their families, and and communicate the best way to communicate in those areas. Well, but to to my point, I mean, when I hear. People who voted for there are plenty of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 who don't want to vote for him in 2020, and all they want is someone a little less crazy who stays 
who keeps from tweeting. But, right. But when they when they hear what the Democrats say, they go, well, I, I can't vote for that. Yeah, the messaging is key. I mean, obviously, hopefully don't, we don't wind up with a nominee who... Um, I mean, I'm not endorsing racism or, or getting rid of... I'm just saying, how do you reach those people? Well, I think I think the key is, 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 is messaging, because Democrats have a winning message. Which is? Well, it, again, this goes back to... Um, the the big fight within the party is always, you know, uh, the the bumper sticker slogan versus one national message. I don't think that that either of those work. I think that when you go to Michigan, Michigan members of Congress, mayors, the state party, they know how to speak to their voters, and we need to make sure they have the resources they need, and that you know the mail pieces and other things like that for getting out the vote are not the same pieces that we're putting out in. Arkansas. Well, now you're talking that that's James Carville's message, building from the ground up instead of from the top I've, down. You know, I've 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 always believed in that. You know, I started ready for Hillary with a, a post office box, and we ended up having two hundred fifty thousand dollars. We raised, you know, fifteen sixteen million dollars, um, and it was just giving people a vehicle to get involved and take action, and it grew from nothing to something. And I think that's at the end of the day what this is all Grassroots. about. Grassroots. Yeah. And a good surrogate program. And we have all sorts of folks who want to be involved at every single level that the party doesn't take advantage of. Well, I don't disagree with you there. So last last thought and the question. Do the Democrats win in 2020? I hope so. (laughs) There's a lot of confidence there. (laughs) You know, I'll say one last thing. The crazy thing is, you know, there was a lot of confidence about beating Donald Trump in 2016. 2016. Oh, yeah. And so I feel that the um, lack of knowing what's going to happen but doing everything I can possibly do to be helpful uh, feels a lot better. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Thanks for joining us uh, again. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kiram. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.